0: Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining with us for this week's podcast. As per usual, before we begin our time together, I want to take a moment, let you know a bit of what's coming up in our community. Today, Clyde Glass is finishing the series Healed by Jesus on this Easter weekend. And coming up on April 19th, we have our next Discipleship Pathway, and it's focusing on the Apostles' Creed. And why does it matter? And what does it mean? And we hope you'll join us and and you can register online for that free event. And then next weekend, we're beginning exploring small groups. And it begins with a free lunch next Sunday. And exploring small groups are short term groups to help get connected at Southview because we're not meant to live life alone. And you can register for this information lunch online. The best way to know what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint. And you can find a link to that viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast. Or you can go on Realm and join the new group, Southview Family Updates, and that will make sure you're always getting the weekly viewpoint in your inbox. And if you're new with us here in this digital space, then we'd love to hear from you. And you can find an online connection card at the bottom of the viewpoint, along with a prayer request form so that we can support and join you in prayer. Additionally, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. But now today, no matter how you're joining with us, may each of our hearts be open and expectant because God is here, and Jesus invites us to bring all that we are and all that we're currently carrying to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together.
1: Hello, friends. Just so thankful we can be joined together here today on this Easter weekend. And whether this is your first time with us or you've been with us For many years or anywhere in between, we are just so thankful we can join together in the presence of God on this weekend together. And we are here because we believe the single most important event in the history of the human race took place on the Sunday after Passover in about the year 30 AD. It's a day we're celebrating as we gather on this weekend, Easter, or as some call it, Resurrection Day. And if you're wondering, why would that be the most important day in history? It's because the claim of Scripture and of followers of Jesus for 2,000 years is that Jesus died, they put him in a tomb, and everyone assumed that that was that, but then, incredibly, he came back to life. He was dead and gone, and then was resurrected. He conquered death and was with them again. And, and seeing Jesus' resurrection from the dead firsthand and believing in him then as Lord and King transformed his followers' perspective on life and on everything related to it. So today, I'd like to bring all that to us. I'd like to consider together what that resurrection means for us. So really kind of my goal in this message is that really whatever your view of Jesus is, we would all leave here clear on what Jesus' resurrection means for us. And here's why I think this is important. Through the resurrection of Jesus, God invites you and me to a new life. That's why I completely agree with a brilliant British scholar, C.S. Lewis, who put it this way. Christianity is a teaching which, if false, is of absolutely no importance. And if true, is of infinite importance. The one thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. And really around that, I think there's a lot of confusion about what the message of Jesus Christ really is. In fact, some time ago, I was talking with a newcomer to Southview who really wanted to know what this Christian faith was about. And so I said, as I often do when asked that kind of question, okay, let me share first what it's not and then what it is. Because the essence of this life with Jesus is not the rules. I mean, there's clear guidance and counsel given in Scripture for our health, for our well-being. But some think that is the essence of this Christian faith. Here's rules to live by, to be a good person. So really, they've misunderstood that the focus is rule-keeping. Kind of doing enough good stuff, going to church, maybe doing good works, praying, reading the Bible, to get God to accept you, to be okay with you. In reality, though... Following Jesus is not about trying to earn God's love or forgiveness. Because the essence is not rules. The essence is relationship. A relationship with the one true living God. And it's a relationship made possible by what we celebrate this weekend the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus. Because Jesus is one who made it possible for us to be connected to God the Father through his death and then his resurrection and and then receiving forgiveness, experiencing grace and becoming part of God's kingdom because the essence of Christianity, it's not rules but a relationship. So after sharing all that, this individual's response to all that was, that's different than what I've heard before. So really, let's look at what Jesus said about this new life. And, and we're a visual people, so I want to look at two symbols, two metaphors that Jesus used to describe what he was about and ultimately what his resurrection means. So again, my desire is that wherever you're at in regard to Jesus, you'd at least be clear on that together. So two symbols or metaphors from Jesus in the Gospels. All right? So the first symbol, and it comes from the Gospel of Luke in chapter 13. Now, here it is. If you didn't know, this is cowboy country, right? And one thing we know in cowboy country is ropes. We, we know ropes. And this is a lesson that Jesus taught. And it has to do with a knotted rope. Because Luke 13 explains that Jesus was going to teach at a synagogue, at a large gathering of Jewish worshipers. So really kind of picture room if you can or online picture a uh, room kind of like this, and and Jesus is invited to speak to this large group of people. So he picture it kind of walks to the front, kind of like we do here perhaps, and he's going to teach, but he notices a woman who stooped over in half And this is then how the encounter unfolds in Luke chapter 13. And as you hear this, remember, this is a word of God. We read this in verse 10. Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. Now, you should know that Jesus had... This kind of radar, really wherever he went, he could see people who had need, physical need, emotional need, spiritual need. It really didn't matter. He could just kind of radar in on need. And even as we've seen in a recent teaching series, we've looked at the healing miracles of Jesus. We've seen that often. So this woman here in Luke 13, she's at the synagogue worship service. She's got a back injury, ailment, a significant one, hunched over. And Jesus gets up and looks right at her. Then it says this in verse 12. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. She was healed. She was set free in that very moment. But the Bible also says, kind of shockingly, that in that moment, there was a mixed reaction to the miraculous healing, which I think kind of surprises us, doesn't it? Because I think if this kind of thing authentically happened in a room like this, I think there would be kind of a sustained standing ovation by everyone, right? But here, there was a mixed reaction in that room. And it wasn't primarily because they doubted the reality of the healing. It wasn't that. Some were certainly delighted about it. I mean, many perhaps knew this woman and had been suffering for it for 18 years. She likely had family and friends there. So they would have been rejoicing with her for sure. But it was the religious leaders who confronted Jesus. And they confronted him publicly in part because they believed Jesus had actually healed this woman. So what they said was, this miracle you kind of just performed, it required an expenditure of energy. And this is a Sabbath day. And we have very strict Jewish Sabbath laws. And Jesus, you crossed the line. You expended too much energy in healing this woman on the Sabbath. I'm not making this stuff up. That actually is what they were saying after a woman was miraculously physically healed. These religious leaders said, okay, you should be denounced and rebuked for what you just did. So there's this very interesting confrontation shaping up, right? And again, this is a public setting. So Jesus has to address these leaders in front of the crowd. And not surprisingly, he does it very creatively. And, and this is where the rope comes in. Because Jesus says this in verse 15. Jesus said, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were done by Jesus. So Jesus says to them, okay, let's, let's just say, let's say you have one of your animals kind of bound to a post on a hot sweltering Sabbath. No water is nearby, so what do you do? Jesus says, you would do The only right thing to do. The only compassionate thing to do. You would untie the animal and you would lead it to the water trough. You would set it free to drink, wouldn't you? So what you religious leaders do compassionately to animals, even on the Sabbath day, setting them free, that is a focus of my ministry and my message. Jesus said, what I am about is Setting human beings free. It is the fundamental thing I do. I want to set them free from the judgment of sin, from guilt, shame, resentment, from greed, lust, addictions, fear. One of the main things that I do in this life is come to those who are in bondage, and I seek to set them free. I go from person to person, and what I do in their life is untie the knots, the rope that has them bound. Now again, Jesus had this kind of radar where wherever he went, he could see people who had need. Again, physical, spiritual, relational, it it didn't matter. Jesus was just kind of tuned in to those in need. So if you think about it, if Jesus were here right now physically, and if he was a teacher this evening, for one, it'd be a way better sermon. But also, he wouldn't be fooled by how good you look on the outside. And by the way, you do look good. He could see right past our outward appearances to the truth about us in our hearts. The the burdens, the fears, the brokenness, pride, bondages in our life. That's why Jesus said in the Gospel of John, in John 8 31, Jesus said, If you abide my word and you are truly my disciples, you will know the truth, and what will the result be? Read it with me. And the truth will set you free. And friends, Jesus still says, I want to set you free. But here's the common reality. We often don't think we need to be set free. Thanks, I'm doing fine, Jesus. But scripture tells us we actually aren't doing fine. In fact, here's how the Apostle Paul described our situation apart from Jesus. In fact, let me read from the message translation. This is Ephesians 2. Paul wrote, it wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old, stagnant life to sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing. When we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. Does that sound a bit harsh? If it does, here's why it does. Because we often avoid looking at the truth about ourselves. We often avoid looking in the spiritual mirror, really. But according to the writers of Scripture, one of our greatest problems is we tend to underestimate the impact of our sin and brokenness and fallenness in our lives. We don't recognize where or when we are in bondage to sin. And really, we therefore tend to look at it more lightly than it warrants. Now, interestingly, in, in some ways, contemporary social science is confirming that reality. In fact, as noted in the research of doctors Carol Travis and Elliot Allenson, they point out the mental tricks we humans use to regularly deceive ourselves. For example, they point to what is called the self-serving bias. That really we all fall into. Now, this self-serving bias refers to this universal human tendency to grade our own behavior far higher than we do the behavior of others. And this self-serving bias, it is one of the most widely documented findings in all of social science. You know, just one example, there was a survey done of about 829,000 high school students a while ago, and they were asked this question, how do you rate yourself compared to other students in your ability to get along with other people? Would you say that you are above average or below average? Okay, now by definition, about 50% should be above average. About 50% would be below average. So what percentage of those high school students actually thought they were above average in their ability to get along with other people? Just take a guess. The actual percentage of students that thought they were above average was 100%. 100% of these high school students said... I'm above average in my ability to get along with other people. And and not only that, but 25% of those high school students estimated they were in the top 1% in their ability to get along with other people. And before you say, crazy high school students, It's not just them who have a a problem with this. Take a university setting. In another study, 95% of all university faculty members surveyed rated themselves above average in their performance as teachers and scholars. 95%. And these are really smart people. So, why do we do that? Why this self-serving bias? Well, it's partly caused by what psychologists call the fundamental attribution error, okay? Now, the way this works is, I tend to attribute other people's bad behaviors to their inner character flaws, but I attribute my bad behavior to the circumstances around me. Let me give you an example. Say you see someone yelling at their kids at South Center Mall. You would tend to assume it's because they're impatient or an unskilled parent or can't control their temper. They have anger issues. So the issue is them. But when you find yourself yelling at your kids, you assume it's because they were misbehaving so badly, even Mr. Rogers would have yelled at them. I mean, it's not me, it's these kids, or it's the circumstances around me. Is that not true? We do that, don't we, in all kinds of settings. And here's the thing. Dr. Brett Simmons puts it this way. These attribution errors are so powerful that even if you are aware of them, you will struggle to avoid them. And here's the thing. One of the results of these universal psychological tendencies is that I end up seriously underestimating the extent to which I am bound, broken, in need of healing, in need of being set free. And the Bible says that this bondage, this kind of sin factor, we might call it, is operating all the time. And it, really, it's what makes our world such a mess. And understand, this isn't just an occasional lap, lapse. It's, it's not just an understandable shortcoming. Every time somebody sins, every time someone consumes greedily, or with every lie or act of deception, the sin and bondage spreads a little more. Every piece of gossip about somebody, or sharing information that will damage them in their life, ties the knot tighter, Every act of envying somebody more than I do myself in this. Every expression of deceit, every wounding word, every moment of prideful arrogance, every racist thought, every attitude of bitterness, every greedy motive, every sexual misdeed, every cruelty to others that I think nobody will ever know about. All of that keeps adding to our bondage to sin. And it goes on all the time in every life. At the Apostle Paul, he described very clearly this tendency in us and in himself. This is how he puts it in Romans chapter 7 and verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Anyone silently want to say amen? But Jesus extends to us an invitation. Here's how he put it in John eight thirty four. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin, is in bondage to sin. But if the Son, Jesus Christ, sets you free... You will be free indeed. You will be free indeed. Because Jesus says, I don't care what you've done. I don't care how long you've done it. There is no not, no bondage from which I cannot set you free. I have the power to do that, provided through my death and my resurrection. And it is available to you. You know, really, I don't think it's widely understood that Jesus, it's more about untying knots than about tying people up. So Jesus' first symbol that he uses here, his first metaphor, is this knot unbound, being set free, So which leads the question then, okay, so how do we get unbound? How can I be set free? And I think that leads to a second symbol or metaphor from Jesus, which I think speaks... Of how we can get set free. How do we get our knots and bondage to sin untied? How do we enter into this personal relationship with God? Well, Jesus used this symbol to answer those questions. This is back in John, in John chapter 10, verse 7. Jesus said this Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door. And Jesus really often talked about himself in his ministry as a door. Okay, so what did he mean by that? Well, one time, very controversially, Jesus put it this way. This is in John 14, verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He said, essentially, I am the door. I am the only door... That leads to a true relationship with the one true God. Now understand this that statement was offensive to many in Jesus' day. And we know it is offensive to many in our day. But here's the thing He said it. He said it. He did not say, I am one way or I am the good way. He said, I am the only way. He said, that's just the truth, I am the way. No one will come to the Father unless they go through the door and I am that door. And again, Jesus wasn't trying to be grandiose in this, he was just saying, I can save you a whole lot of wandering around, trying to go through doors that aren't the truth, that don't work, but I'm telling you for your benefit that only I can bring you to the Father. Through what I did on the cross, And through the victory of my resurrection, I am the door to the Father. So what is Easter about? What does the resurrection mean? It means, praise God, that the door to forgiveness, to wholeness, mercy, and grace, the door to a relationship with the God of creation is now open through Jesus Christ. Because of his cross, because of his empty tomb. So you can experience grace, healing, undeserved favor, and a new identity as a child of God. Here again is how Jesus put it. This is in Luke 11, verse 10. Jesus said, for everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And really, I I so want you to know on this Easter God is longing for you to respond to his invitation. He is pursuing you, even right in this moment, with love. You know, there's an experience I reminisced about with my dad when he was living that just kind of stuck with me. And it was when I was in primary school and my dad took me to a Chicago Bears football game. And the games were at Wrigley Field in those days, downtown Chicago, and they were playing and defeated their arch rival, the Green Bay Packers and Bart Starr. So you understand why it was so memorable, right? A great game. And then when we were walking out after the game, it was a very energetic Chicago crowd, thousands jammed together, flowing out of the old stadium. And my dad was a low-key, very gentle man and said, keep holding my hand. And for some reason or somehow, I, I pulled away from dad and then was immediately pulled by the crowd as it flowed off in another direction. And at that time at least I was short, couldn't really see anything. Loud crowd calling out for my father, but just being pulled along. And then hearing my father's voice. I I, I couldn't see him, but he was yelling my name. And I remember it in part because my dad never yelled and then seeing him push through these masses to get to me and wrapping me in his arms. And I bring that up because the heart of the Heavenly Father is a lot like the heart of my dad in that crowd. And for those of you who have drifted away from God, or maybe you've never even been close to God, you need to know this that God, that heavenly Father is calling your name every day because he wants you to be with him in relationship in this life and he wants you to be with him forever in the life to come. And the urgency with which my Father was calling my name cannot even compare with how urgently, lovingly, persistently the heavenly Father is calling your name inviting you to step through the door that is Jesus and be unbound, be set free. Which I think all leads to a very profound question. So how do you respond to God's invitation? How do you walk through that door? Well, in the books of Acts, It tells us in Acts chapter 16, verse 30, that a man asked the disciples, what must I do to be saved, to enter into this relationship with God? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in Lord Jesus. And and by believe there, it's not just do you believe he existed or do you believe he taught good things? But do you put your trust, your faith, your hope in him? Do you submit to him? Do you trust in him? Because this Jesus, the same Jesus, friends, he is still transforming lives. So how about you? Because you must decide that. I mean, this resurrection weekend, Jesus Christ, truly, he waits for your yes. Yes, I will follow you, Jesus. Yes, I submit my life to you. Yes, I will trust the way that you want to mold me. Again, no one can do this for you. So really, I want to give you a chance to make that decision right now and and receive from God this gift of new life so you can know how things stand between you and him. And I realize this. Maybe this is the first time you've participated in any kind of church gathering in a long time, or maybe ever. And, And maybe your head's kind of spinning right now with a lot of questions. So can I encourage you to make maybe another decision right now, if that's you? Can, can you decide, I will keep seeking God? I will seek Christ. Because that's a great process to walk through, and we encourage it. And we want to support you in it. And I invite you to do that with us here. In fact, next weekend, I invite you both on-site and online. We're beginning a new teaching series that we called Seeds of Transformation, in which we're going to look at how this new relationship with Jesus And the new identity we have in him transforms, molds, and guides how we live daily in his love and hope. We would just love to have you join us for that anytime along the way. But you can also decide right now to turn to this Jesus as your Lord, to put your faith in him, invite him into your life. You can just express your heart to God, even in a silent prayer. And in fact, if, if that's your desire today, I invite you to just kind of silently repeat this prayer to God after me. In fact, can we do this? Will you bow your heads with me? And if this is your heart, if you want to come to Jesus and this silently repeat this prayer after me, God, I don't have all the answers. And I still have some questions. I recognize I need forgiving. I understand that's what the cross is about. I need hope. I need your power. So, Jesus, I ask you to be my forgiver and my leader, my ruler, my deliverer, and my friend. From this day forward, I put my hope in you, Jesus. Amen. And Father, we thank you that although death seemed to have the final word on that day in that tomb, we thank you that there's now new life. There is eternal hope in Jesus Christ, who is our victorious resurrected King of Kings, we, along with the body of Christ across the nations, lift you our praise and thanksgiving on this weekend, and we lift you now this song of praise to him. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people say, amen. Let's stand and worship our King.
2: A moment when the lights went out, when death had claimed its victory, the King of Love had given up his life the darkest day in history there on a cross they made for sin. One final breath and it was filled.
1: Glad you could be here today, friends, and if I can give you an encouragement, uh, if you prayed that prayer to God asking to receive Christ in your life, can you let someone you know who's a follower of Jesus, let them know of your decision in this, and even if it's me or one of our pastors, we'd love to know because we want to support you in this journey of faith together. And if you're a newcomer visitor with us, I encourage you to go to the Newcomer Center. We have a small gift for you just to say we're thankful you're here with us. And even as we've been talking about, because Jesus loved helping those in need, this is the last week that you can give towards our Moving Hope Lenten Project, where we're trying to provide as many wheelchairs as possible to those in great need in Costa Rica. Love to have you joining in that. You can do it online on our website or right here through one of the offering boxes. But as you go into this week, the rest of this week, having journeyed through Lent in this Holy Week, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more beyond all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's walk in that grace and turn to a few people and say, happy Easter.